Hi, I'm Stacey Schumacher-Rowan, Editor-in-Chief of Hospitality Design Magazine with HD's What I've Learned podcast. Today, I was joined by Kona Gray, Principal at EDSA. Kona, whose journey took him from Boston to Liberia and now Fort Lauderdale, followed in his architect father's footsteps. They would often draw together, so it was natural for Kona to continue that creative education. He says he stumbled upon landscape architecture, and for the past 25 years, he's been a crucial voice in creating immersive environments for posh resorts to senior living facilities and everything in between. One of Kona's initiatives is bringing more people of color into the field, where less than 10% of graduating landscape architects are BIPOC. He believes that everyone is meant to have good landscape architecture no matter the cost. It's a view that fits into his definition of success, being a good, kind person who gives back. Having a fantastic landscape makes you a better person, he says. We overlook it despite walking through it all day. These are things that are integral to human survival. Hi, I'm here with Kona. Kona, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Stacey. So good to see you. You too. All right, so we always start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? Okay, so... I feel very fortunate. I grew up in a small country called Liberia in West Africa, and um, it basically shaped my life and who I am today because I was really fortunate to spend a lot of time outside. So were you a creative kid growing up, and what were you doing outside, too? Yeah, definitely a creative kid growing up, um, you know, running around outside, spending time in, in sort of the countryside. Um, really enjoying the outdoors, and um, I, I grew up drawing a lot. Uh, my, my dad is an architect, and um, I sort of grew up in the business of design, so seeing that every day really inspired me. That's awesome. Did you ever, like, go to work with him, or what, what was he building nearby? Did you get to see his his uh, what his creations? Yeah, yeah. He probably, we probably broke a few child labor laws. I, mean, I spent a lot of time in the studio, and um, that was uh, my experience growing up. I do remember my dad bringing um, work home and drawing from home, and um, you know, I would be doing my drawings while he was doing his drawings, and he would critique them. So it was really cool. Those are, um, you know, memorable experiences that I, I just can't forget. Yeah. Was your mom creative as well? Yeah. You know, my mom um, was very nurturing. Um, she, uh, her career was in healthcare and, um, and she really spent a lot of time allowing us to explore and to grow and it was super positive. And it was um, just a great combination of the two in terms of their, um, the way they raised us. Amazing. Pretty awesome. And so how did you get into the landscape architecture world or, or how did you get introduced to that? I guess I should ask. I um, stumbled into landscape architecture. So as I, I stated earlier, my, my dad as an architect, um, you know, was, was really uh, uh, sort of focused on me not becoming an architect. I don't know what, what, what that is. I mean, I know sometimes doctors tell their kids to become doctors and lawyers tell their kids to become lawyers, but architects typically tell their kids not to become architects. Um, and, um, it, it was interesting that, um, you know, I sort of stumbled into it because I, because I'm creative, I started out in fine art. And so, um, you know, I painted and sketched and, uh, sculpture and all that kind of stuff and really loved it and was fortunate enough to study at the Savannah College of Art and Design. And, um, during that, time period in, in Savannah, you know, my friends happened to all be um, architects, you know, or, or pursuing 
careers in architecture. And so I was like, oh, I, I know this stuff. I like this too. And, and so I kind of, you know, started hanging out with them. And little by little, I was like, well, maybe I should transfer into architecture. And when I told my dad that, he was so upset. He was like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, no, I, you know, I, I know I can paint and I love art, but I really want to learn this, um, this career. And he's like, all right, go for it. And so um, so if you're going to do it, um, you really should study the Boston Architectural College because it um, requires you to work um, as well as part of the curriculum. And, and I did it and it was it was challenging, uh, but it, I, I learned so much and I got to a point in the program where I was like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to graduate. It's taking quite some time and um, began a transfer process. And ended up stumbling into a landscape architecture program because I was ready to get out of school. And, um, and it, it was great. I mean, and, and looking back, my father um, talked to me one day about it. He's like, you know, I knew you were going to do something with the land. Um, yeah, because when you're a kid, you would go outside and build little cities and little experiences and, and create places and, uh, you know, move things around and shuffle, shuffle the dirt and sticks and all this kind of stuff. And, and make places. It's like, I, I had a funny feeling you might end up doing this. And the rest is history. That's amazing. And what brought you from Liberia to Savannah? How did you yeah. make that jump? Yeah, so going back a little further, my parents immigrated to the U.S. in the 60s for, for their education, um, both coming from Liberia, met in Boston, met in the Cambridge area, fell, fell in love, got married, and both my sister and I were born while they were still in college. So imagine them in an undergrad with two kids, two, two nope. babies. Yeah, yeah, nope. I know. <laughs> I was like, were you guys crazy? And then they, um, but we all, you know, was, what was awesome about it is that, you know, they loved it. They said, we grew up together. I mean, you, you kids came with us to parties. We took you everywhere with us. You know, we were always in tow. And, um, you know, it was the 60s. So it was, you know, it's pretty, pretty cool, hip time. And um, so from Boston for their graduate studies, they, um, they went from the East Coast to the West Coast to Seattle, University of Washington, wrapped up their studies, and then um, we all headed back to Africa. Got it. And, okay. um, and then I sort of, my, my sister and I followed in their footsteps. We, we came back to the States in the 80s and uh, started doing the same thing. Yeah. Okay, so you stumble across this landscape, or, or you, you not stumble, but you take this landscape architecture class. What's next? Like you graduate, is what was your first job out of school? Was it in landscape architecture? Or did you go into architecture, true architecture first, and then kind of transition over? So what was great about the Boston Architectural College is that I had to work. And so as part of the curriculum, so I was, I was a working student, you know. And when I got to Georgia, I was an older student because the, the BAC's curriculum just took, it took a while, you know, because it's a heavy load to work all day and then go to design studio right. in the evening. And that was a constant 12 plus hour day um, for many, many years. And I it was getting burned out. Um, but I, I just, I just was really um, drawn to it because I always wanted to design more than just the object of a building, you know, or, or space in, in that term. And I still remember one of my um, professors, you know, looking at my elevation for, for a building, I drew a tower, but within the whole elevation, I showed, you know, the trees and the people and cars and was like all the stuff. And he was like, oh, you got to get rid of all that. And I was like, no, that's just not how it exists. And 
I didn't even put two and two together, but that's that that was sort of the light bulb moment of okay, I'm I'm not doing what I should be doing. And um, in the in the process of transferring, I discovered this program at Georgia, and um, and they were like, well, we can get you out of here in a year and you know some change. And I was like, oh, this is a business decision. So I got, I was like, I got to get this degree, and get the work. And um, fortunately. Um, as I was trying to explore the future, I, uh, I knew that I wanted to design resorts and I was coming out of, of the advisor's office and, uh, because they had to advise you on, you know, your future plans and, you know, what sort of capstone or final project you want to do. And I wanted to do a resort and they didn't have resorts, you know, uh, available. And so I was walking out of the office. I saw a poster on the wall for EDSA for the internship program. And I was like, oh these guys do resorts, you know, they had, you know, all the, the, the work that they do in the posters. So I jotted down the number, cold called EDSA. Um, fortunately, one of the partners answered and he said, Oh, what, what can I do for you? I was like, well, I'm a student. I'm looking for a capstone project. Would you have one that I could utilize? And they're like, sure. Um, you know, let us think about it. But in the meantime, handwrite us a letter, handwrite. Okay. We want to see your lettering. We want to see that you're actually a serious designer. Handwrite us a letter and we'll get back to you. And I was like, all right. The day before I had to make a decision between doing a resort or working on a small streetscape in, a, in, in, in South Georgia, um, they called me. I was like, okay, great. So I went down, got base plan information, did the project. Sent it back to EDSA, you know, thank you, you know, here it is. I'm probably going to stay in the Atlanta area. And, and shortly after that, I got a cold call back from them. Hey, would you be interested in, in coming and work for us? I was like, ah, I don't know. Let me think about it. And um, I asked the professor and he said, oh, EDSA, you mean Edward D. Stone Jr. and Associates? It's like, yes. He's like, ah, Ed Stone. Oh, he's pretty pretty, pretty big time. You know, you, you might want to consider this. And I was like, okay. He's like, what advice do you have for me? He's like, well, you know, it's in Florida and maybe it's kind of expensive there. Just make sure you ask for a good salary. Best advice I ever received. And here I am almost 25 years later. That is amazing. Okay. What did your letter look like? Oh, my, my partner, Rick Santolella still, he tells me he still has the letter, but I haven't seen it in in quite some time, but it was, you know, it was, you know, growing up in, in the, in the realm of architecture, I was taught early how to draft and how to, you know, draw by hand. And so the lettering, the architectural lettering is all very crisp and straight and clean. And, you know, that's just the way we, 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 we are trained. Right. Um, I I remember when when I used to write checks, you know. That I practiced my lettering, you know, when I wrote my checks for my rent or whatever, you know, and so it was, it's always clean and you know, you know, and clear and easy to read. Love it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. So almost twenty five years at EDSA, which is amazing. Um, what have been some of, you know, some of your favorite projects or your favorite project or moments that you've got to design over the years? Yeah, again, you know, I'm super grateful um, that Ed created the company because, you know, our, our ability to design and, and, and work around the globe has allowed us to get engaged in all sorts of amazing projects. Um, one of my most memorable experiences was traveling to the Maldives 
with a client to benchmark hotels, which was really awesome. We were going to a plan there um, and the exploration of their culture and, you know, seeing how water was so integral into um, everything was just fantastic. And um, I was able to go to the one and only um, Retira in the Maldives. And that, that project is just outstanding. And, um, and so that, that was a great inspiration, but I mean, the work we've done um, in, in Egypt um, has been really uh, memorable for me as well. Um, it's, uh, just, just fantastic just to kind of look back at the portfolio and, and, and try to remember all the stuff that we worked on. But between that and the W Vieques in Puerto Rico, um, those are probably two of my, my favorite projects, but I, I do believe that that, that inspiration, uh, garnered from travel and drawing and sketching and seeing places. It's really what, um, fuels, fuels our design passion, no doubt. What's your process like? How do you start? I mean, is there a place that you begin with each project? Um, and what is that? And take us through that a little bit. Yes, yeah, so our, our process and, and methodology is is pretty open. I mean, we, we believe in starting every project with a good understanding of the place. And, um, and so if we're unable to go there, we do a lot of that sort of desktop, um, you know, analysis and understanding of a place. But, I, I you know, that, that is one aspect of it. The other aspect is the people and getting to know the people and understanding what they need and, and what the culture is and, and that whole history. Um, you know, it really sort of infuses a lot of information up front really, really early. And it's, it's been, in our opinion, it's, it's pretty challenging to, you know, work on a job without having that background information. And, um, and so that's, that's the beginning of, of everything. And so once we, have listened very, very well and have pulled in as much information as we can before we even begin to, to draw. Um, you know, we, we, we get to a point where we're like, oh, okay, now I'm starting to, to understand this a little bit. And, um, and that's when we begin to um, ideate or create, start to sketch. And, um, and sketching along with clients or in front of clients is probably one of the most amazing things that we do. And uh, that, that really helps you kind of, you know, hone in onto the idea, the, the big story. I, I do recall in, in, you know, earlier in my career, many of the projects didn't have a story. Um, it was the special projects that were able to be um, put in that position. But now more than ever, um, most of our projects are, are really drawn uh, to a theme or an idea or a a uh, story about a place. And um, so we're, we're storytellers. I mean, that's, that's really what we do when we're, when we're designing and creating cool places for people to be. Yeah. I was going to ask like, how has the practice changed, you know, in the last 25 years, do you think landscape architecture um, for resorts, for urban life, for everything has even become more important over the last, you know, two decades and moving forward, especially after the last 18 oh, months yeah. college. Yeah, 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 no doubt. COVID definitely amplified it. Um, and prior to that, most landscape architects were um, screaming, you know, hey, the landscape is important. You know, uh, don't cut that out of the budget. Trust us, you know, you really want this. Um, and, but you know what? I, I think we probably should have stepped back and, and explored it from a different avenue because 
what I think a lot of people don't understand about landscape architecture is its importance to um, the quality of life for, for humanity and um, giving people something that they, they can't tangibly receive from a, from a structure, from a building. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's something super emotional and spiritual that I think a lot of people miss. Um, and landscape architects can do a better job of explaining that. I mean, I think that that's really what it comes down to is that, you know, having a fantastic landscape actually makes you a better person. <laughs> you know, it's simple. It's really simple. And, and, and we overlook it. You know, we walk through it all day. You know, we, we turn around and look at this, you know, majestic landscape in Oregon or, you know, somewhere in the plains or, you know, here on the uh, East coast in Florida, you know, the, the ocean. I mean, this, these are things that, you know, are integral to the, what, to the, to human survival, you know, having these types of places uh, makes a big difference. And so over the last decade or so, landscape architecture has certainly been elevated. Hospitality has been ahead of the game for, for quite some time. Um, understanding that people do not want to stay in their room. You know, the, the room is a place, it's a little vessel, but they really want to be in the environment. They want to be by the pool. Um, and, you know, that's, I mean, it's about 50% of our business. And um, I think what we've learned from hospitality is that you can translate that language of design to pretty much any type of asset. And uh, it makes a really, really big difference. And so um, now we're doing senior living projects and they want it to feel like a resort or we're doing campus projects and they want it to feel like a resort. So it's really interesting to see how, um, you know, the, the, the lifestyle of, of hospitality has been um, finally, um, you know, twisted into everything, which I, I think is lovely. It's fantastic. It's great. I wish it happened sooner, but I'm happy that it's happening now. Um, yeah. I mean, even in urban projects, like I think um, just, in New York, for instance, when um, COVID happened and restaurants had to come outside and, you know, use, you know, sidewalks and streets and, you know, the city started shutting down streets and just seeing that, like even, you know, like oh, that yeah. little change, right? Like that just little tweak of something, like how different it makes you feel, right? Yeah. And, and I know we, we all remember those days when we were we had to go home, right? And we got, got home, but you know, every once in a while, you're like, "All right, I got to get out of my house and take a walk," right? I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna go bananas. And wow, I mean, I still remember, you know, a few months after the pandemic um, began, walking outside, seeing my neighbors. People were waving. People were a lot nicer, <laughs> you know. Even though we were going through this really um, crazy time and and uh, sad and scary and uh, just devastating. I think it, it did bring back a little bit of humanity. I mean, I, I remember watching the news of the, you know, people in New York singing <laughs> and, you know, really uh, uh, sort of caring for their community again. I think, it, you know, we, we kind of lost it for a while there. So that the, the pandemic was a, was a bit of a reset. And, um, you know, our, our clients that out of necessity, realized they needed to embrace these outdoor spaces, learn something, you know, we were transforming parking lots into plazas and terraces and, you know, taking, uh, you know, putting roadways on diets, taking those parking, um, parallel parking spaces and turning them into dining areas. I mean, that, that, that is something that we've been pushing for decades as landscape architects, but people are like, oh, no, no, you can't do that. I'm like, why? 
<laughs> because that's what we do. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not a reason. And, and, and it's fantastic to see that a lot of those spaces are going to stick around. Right. Um, and I, I love that. And, and we're doing a lot more rooftop terraces and, you know, taking advantage of that fifth facade of a building. Um, these are things that people just didn't even consider now. Now they really want it. And, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Is there one part of the process that you love the most? I would certainly say it's the, um, the beginning and the end. Yeah, the, the middle part's cool. You know, I, I'm, I'm the type of designer that I, I love seeing the entire process. But the beginning, we're, we're, you know, really honing in on the concept and everybody's at the table and, you know, it's, it's creative and we're throwing a bunch of ideas around and trying different things is so fantastic. And then as you get near the end, which is uh, also cool, you know, it's, it's sort of frantic. You have a deadline, you know, you're, you're, it's opening day in a few days. And that's an awesome time too, because everyone rolls up their sleeves. We we're on the ground. We're saying, okay, that plant needs to go there. or That furniture placement isn't right. Let's, let's try this. And, you know, it, it's just fantastic to see people come together and, and make it happen. Yeah. That team effort. Oh yeah. And I know you said, you know, you talked about your work in Puerto Rico and Egypt and Maldives. Is there one project though that maybe was your most challenging that you came up with an interesting solution or, you know, something that you are pretty proud of that you can delve a little bit into the details about? Yeah. I mean, there, there, there are so many, but I, I would, I would say that one of the most challenging projects was a W vehicles. Um, so our, our client came to us through a recommendation um, for this project. And, um, and I still remember our good friend, Ken Stefano calling us up and saying, Hey, you guys need to work on this. We worked on the Ritz with Ken in Puerto Rico. And um, it's like this, this client really needs you. She, she's new to resorts. Uh, she was a banker, but she really wanted to do a resort. She did a, a, a retreat and she did an urban hotel at the same time. You know, so I was like, wow, that's pretty ambitious. Let's, let's, let's get it on and see what happens. Um, but as she was new to hospitality, we were all learning together. And um, what was crazy was that um, she went through quite a few consultants. You know, the team, the team didn't fully gel at the beginning. It was led by interior um, architecture team. And the client just, did, just, did, just didn't gel. And fortunately, we got to a point where they, they, they finally found a group that aligned with the client. And that was Rockwell. And I was, we were so happy. We were like, okay, this has been very challenging, but I think we're going to be able to take this forward because we are seeing eye to eye. And then the client brought in Patricia Arcula um, as a design director, and that really solidified the whole process. Um, and I think what we did that made it unique and, um, and actually kind of brought it together was that we embraced the Puerto Rican culture. And Vieques is very different than the, you know, main island. Um, it's... Uh, surfer slash bohemian slash country slash everything. So this W retreat ended up being something that we knew when we were able to infuse that local culture that we were going to have something um, we had, we had purpose at that point in the design. And, um, and then that was a major collaboration. Um, and in, in many parts, I would say led by our, our landscape architecture team because there were, there were so many distractions and, we're, and we finally were able to bring everyone together and say, what, 
what really matters here, you know, and, and that, that, that was an inspiration for not only our client, but the, the entire team to design something that really fit the place. And, um, I think that the, the unfortunate part of the story is that, um, uh, we live in a world that where, where there is tragic, um, occurrences and, um, the, the property didn't survive, uh, Irma. Uh, hurricane in the 2017 and um, you know it's it's going through a transition now hopefully it will have another life but at, at that moment in time it was just unbelievable it was very magical still one of my favorite projects though it's so sad to see that taken away so sad how do you stay up to date on the latest in all things landscape, you know, like, are you out there like researching new species and trees and life all the time? All the time. Yeah. So I'm, a, a, many of us are members of the American Society of Landscape Architects. And uh, there's also another group called the Landscape Architecture Foundation, which does a lot of research and kind of, it's like a little think tank for our, our, our community of designers. And so we are constantly pushing the envelope, trying different things, experimenting, um, the, uh, landscape architecture foundation has a fellowship and, uh, it, it's pretty cool because as, as a professional, you can take a moment in time and, and go and study something super important to you. You know, um, uh, one of, one of our really great colleagues developed this, uh, carbon calculator. That was her big idea. And so she was seated some money to take it a little further. And, um, you know, there's so many groups that have, really learned a lot um, because of that, that organization. And um, yeah, I mean, for us, being able to continually test things and experiment and try different things is what allows us to remain relevant. And I think the other thing that um, we do as designers is we, we're so collaborative that we, we want to learn from others, you know, so we're, we're looking at, we're looking not only at, you know, the built environment we're looking at fashion we're looking at you know cars music you know all that kind of stuff as designers i mean that's what that's what really you know <laughs> makes you uh sing and so if you if you if you're so focused on one thing you may miss something and so that's that's what inspires me it's just finding all those other you know inspirations that are outside of the the discipline yeah right. yeah are there any new technologies or ideas that you are excited about? Yeah, I, I, you know, as a firm, we've always um, embraced hand drawing um, because it's um, it's artistic. It gives you a chance to sketch really quick and come up with the ideas. But technology has really elevated it, um, and we we got to a point where we knew that we did not want to lose that foundation of design, that, that, that discipline of design. And, um, we embraced, um, uh, tablets. And so we, most of our designers have these pretty good size Wacom tablets and we, we are able to draw by hand, but we draw right into the computer. So it's, it's just this digital transformation. There's so much you learn, um, from drawing by hand. I don't know what it is about the hand-eye coordination of drawing, um, it, it's certainly is therapeutic, but it's, um, it also allows you to remember more and you really know that design when you draw it different than holding a mouse, totally different. And so having a stylus and the pen and then being able to draw on the computer allows you to, to sort of make that all, um, come together. And 
collaboration has been elevated because of new apps and programs that allow you to draw by hand together uh, while you're away from each other and come back together to draw. Um, it's I, I think that that's pretty cool. So we're we're seeing apps like Miro um, and Bluescape. Uh, there's there's so many different ways where we can collaborate now um, using digital tools, which is just I just I. I, I just can't believe that we've come this far. <laughs> I would have never thought, you know, and, uh, but we haven't lost our understanding of the, the foundation of design through, right. through the ability to draw. Well, I remember sure. I did a podcast with Roger Thomas, you know, ex win And yeah. I said, what would you tell, you know, your younger self or your, or, or what do you tell people as you're mentoring? He's like, learn how to draw. Cause he's like, that's yeah. like the art, um, you know, that, it's a lost art, right? And to bring that mm -hmm. back and really have those layers and everything you were just saying so important to a project. Yeah, and, it, and it's not about creating these wonderful masterpieces, right? It's it's about um, being able to think while you're while you're drawing. Uh, we call it design thinking, and um, and it, it and so it's a doodle, it's a little sketch. Um, you know, sometimes you need to put it on paper for someone to understand what you're thinking. And I just think as a designer, as a, as a landscape architect or architect, um, or even an engineer, you should be able to draw. You really should. <laughs> it's, the, it's the foundation of our, of our creative um, you know, genre. It just is. I wish I could draw. I can't draw at all. Yes, you um, can. Yes, you can. Do <laughs> it. We're going to draw together. Okay. I promise you, you can draw. <laughs> all right. I'll take you up on that. We'll try that. Yep. Okay. <laughs> So tell us about EDSA. How how big are we? Um, how many projects are you working on? What's kind of the firm culture? I know you dove into a little bit about it, but. Yeah, um, I love EDSA. Um, EDSA was established in 1960 by our founder at Stone um, as a, you know, just a small shop focused on creating uh, fantastic um, projects for our clients, very client centric. Um, and, uh, and, and that, that was our, there wasn't anything we couldn't do. We always took care of our clients and we still do. And it, and it was almost one of those things that uh, allowed us to become um, almost essential. Um, uh, it's almost essential workers, as I call it. Because, because we became friends with our clients. We became partners. We were part of that development process. And so early on in the culture, we understood everything you needed to understand about development. Um, but I think the other thing that Ed did was he um, infused this humility, you know, so that we, we weren't those star architects, you know, star architects. We were really collaborators and, um, you know, people that work together. And, and one thing he always reminded us was to sort of make sure you follow the golden rule, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. So um, over time, you know, uh, we created this, strong team based on a studio format where um, we had several different studios, small groups, all working together and collaborating. And um, it's, it's, it hasn't changed today. So if you come to the, any of our offices, you will see collaboration in life. Um, so there's, you know, trace paper everywhere. Uh, there's people sketching and drawing and talking and, you know, what do you think about this? Check out that image. It's, it's 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 fantastic because it's so powerful uh, to see that process of design. It's not oh this is mine, stay away. You know I, I don't I don't need your input. It's it's this. It's like 
arms wide open. Let's work together. Let's figure it out. Uh, no stupid ideas. Um, and so that, that culture has, has stuck. So we're, we're, we're about 160 people right now. Um, we've been around since 1960, as I, as I was stating. And, um, and we're global. I mean, we, because of Ed's dad, um, Edward Durrell Stone Sr., we ended up doing a lot of work um, around the globe because of, of his assignments, you know, so whether they're embassies or campuses, um, we sort of were able to work together in those early years. And it um, had a big influence on our understanding of, of the planet and, um, you know, all the different ways and places where we could go and, and, and work. Um, now we've evolved. Um, we restructured about a year ago, just before COVID. Uh, um, almost actually almost uh, 18, yeah, 18 months. It's so crazy. I've lost track of time because of COVID. <laughs> so we, uh, it, it's so crazy, but we, we transform our studios into teams. So we have larger studios that are our studio teams now, um, led by multiple um, principals, which is really great because there's a lot of collaboration that we didn't, we, we collaborated and now it's like collaboration on steroids now because it's, you know, everybody is cross-pollinating across teams, across different regions. Um, I've been asked uh, along with a couple other partners to really focus on growing the business and business development. So that's been fantastic. It's, it's, it's just, it's so great to see the firm evolve, you know, and I, I believe that's important for all companies, you know, you can't stay the same, you know, yep. life is constantly changing and you have to evolve and, and, and you should do it proactively. You shouldn't wait for, for a disaster <laughs> to change you. And, and it was interesting because we were making this change before COVID hit and our advisor, um, Dave Gilmore with design intelligence was like, yeah, just go for it guys. Don't wait. Just, just go for it. And we're like, all right, all right here we go. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, and you're on um, the Hospitality Diversity Action Council. Thank you with me. Well, well, not with me, with uh, 14 others. Um, And you've been critical of the lack of diversity in the landscape, architecture, profession, and and hospitality in general. Um, And I guess less than 10% um, of graduating landscape architects are BIPOC. How, as a person of color, how do you, how can the field attract more amazing people like yourself and how do you bring that to EDSA? Uh, it, it's a, it's all about awareness. You know, when, when you, when you start to think about um, the different career choices you can make um, in many cases, you learn about those choices through someone else. Right. Um, you know, sometimes you have this internal thing that tells you that you want to be, you know, an artist or a doctor or a, you know, ballerina or whatever it is. <laughs> Um, but when you're when you're younger, you know it's it's all about those influences, you know um, what what your parents do or what your uncle does or what you know what your aunt is doing, you know, and those things draw you. And so I, I'm I am convinced that it's about awareness, and we have to uh, explain and share with with people the the love of design through landscape architecture. It is something that I believe that once you find out like myself, you're hooked. I mean, you just, you just don't realize that that that's something you can do, you know? And, um, and so in regards to the, the BIPOC population, um, the landscape has unfortunately been had a negative connotation, you know, whether it was related to slavery or, you know, uh, things of working the land, 
Uh, people I, I, I've learned over my years of, of interest in this subject have, have sort of, you know, pushed back on landscape as a word. And, um, and that's a problem because the land, the land is very precious. It's something that we have to take care of. And as landscape architects, that's our charge of promoting the land and, 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 and providing people the tools to understand the value of the land, and, you know, you know, before we were all here, <laughs> the land was here, right? the rivers were here, the mountains were here, the trees were here. And then we showed up and said, oh, we, we can manage this. We can, we can do this. And we've, we've made a, a, a terrible mess. And, um, and we, ha- we have to fix it. You know, it, it's, it, it's our survival is dependent on us fixing this mess. And, um, and so we need more landscape architects. And we need more designers that, that get it, that understand the value of the land. But we, it, as ambassadors, to make sure we have more of just the general public that get it, that, that care for national parks, that care for their downtown, you know, that care for, you know, these, these environments. And, and, and as that happens, we will, we will grow. I, I strongly believe that landscape architecture is a democratic profession. It's it, everyone is meant to have good landscape architecture, no matter the cost. It's you know, but for so many decades, I would say the one percent got it. They enjoyed their fancy gardens and you know beautiful mansions and all that kind of stuff. They they got it, um, but it's it's that's there's way more <laughs> places that need um, you know attention. You know, from a massive architecture perspective. So, I mean, if we, and I know when we will, it's going to be a major paradigm shift. People are going to just say, wow, I'm coming in. I, I want to be a landscape architect. I want, to, I want to design these spaces between the buildings. I want to make sure that people have a healthy environment, that, you know, that they're able to get fresh food near their home. They're able to go to a park and get the fresh air that they need. That all these things will come together when we have more people on board understanding the importance of the environment. So right. I think what it's going to take, going back to the beginning, is awareness. Just making yep. people aware this profession exists. I look at the, um, <laughs> I look at the NCAA and how they uh, recruit. I mean, they, they go to, you know, that coach comes and sits down with you and your parents and tells you how wonderful their school is. Right. We need more designers, more landscape architects and, you know, architects to, to, to go to these, these schools and sit down with students and sit down with their parents and say, Hey, you know, this is something that is really important. And we, and we really believe that you would benefit from it. Yeah. And, um, it go a long way. Yeah, for sure. And do you think you are trying to bring more diversity or are not, do you think, are you trying to bring more diversity into your own firm by going out there, finding new people, recruiting different talent? Yes, absolutely. We, uh, how do I would say about a decade or so ago, um, we adopted a high school, a Northeast right. high school here in, in uh, the Fort Lauderdale area. Um, primarily uh, very diverse um, uh, uh, high school. And uh, we, we did a design class with them and, and I, I'm still, it, it only takes one, right? So it was fortunate that one of these students decided that they really love landscape architecture and wanted to pursue it and got a degree 
graduated, working on his license, his professional license right now. I mean, it's, it, it, that's what it takes, you know? And so it's just one at a time. And I, and I can tell you, I can ever re- recall going to the American Society of Landscape Architecture um, conferences early in my career and being one of the only black people there. Like, seriously, like I could look around and like, where is everybody? And then over the years, little by little, <laughs> that's improved. Um, same thing in the universities. I was one of the only African-Americans in my, at, at Georgia. I mean, in my graduating class, I was the one, you know, and Georgia's a big program. And, um, you know, continuing to stay with Georgia and spend time there and go back and speak and talk to students, I've been so inspired to see that that's changing as well. There are more students there. So it's, it, it takes time, unfortunately. We have a long way to go. But the only way to do it is to be super proactive and intentional about it. I mean, to actually go out and grab somebody and say, hey, I think you would benefit from this. That's what it takes. And we're doing that at EDSA, too. It, it takes one, right? Like if everyone oh, yeah. went and just talked oh, yeah. to one individual, like what that chain reaction could have. It, it, it's definitely a chain reaction. It's actually pretty cool because um, you, you're leading by example, right? You know, you if you're doing something positive, other people will, will come along. But what was always important for me was seeing someone that looks like me, right, right. in the profession. And that, that was challenging. Unfortunately, I had my father as, as, as a role model from the, from the get-go. Um, but as I was coming up as a designer and learning, I didn't see many, you know, African-American or people of color, Latino. I, I just didn't see them. Right. And, but I was, that never held me back because I was passionate about it. And, um, and my parents always instilled into us the idea that, you know, it's, it's about the human race, not one race. It's about everyone. We're, we're here together and we all can learn something from each other. So I've always been open to um, diverse opinions, and different opinions. And, and watching that and seeing, um, you know, other people sort of step up and seeing even if it's just a few role models grabbing onto them um, just made a big difference um, in my career. And, and so I, I, I always tell younger designers, find those people that inspire you, um, ask them to be your mentor, you know, ask, ask them questions, you know, uh, most of the, the successful people have become successful um, because they've asked, because they've taken a moment to say, well, how did you do it? You know, what, what does success mean to you? Um, and it's not just about achievements or, you know, attaining this, you know, degree or this medal or award or whatever it is. It's about being a good person, you know, being successful in life, you know, right. having a great family, having wonderful friends. I mean, that's, and maybe that's just my opinion because everyone has their own. Um, and I respect that. But for me, um, being successful is, is, is being a good person, you know, and giving back and, and continuing to try, experiment and, and being happy, being kind, all those things, you know, are, are simple things, but it, it really has a lot to do with being successful. Love it. And do you tinker at home? Like, do you have a big garden? Like, a, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> you out no, there we, all the time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> My wife and I are super fortunate. We, we just, we, we stocked this property in Fort Lauderdale for, for several years until it was available. And we, um, it was 2012, uh, December and, um, you know, the market was, you know, soft enough that we could, we could, we could afford it and we bought it. And it's a, it's a half an acre property. It's, um, 
it's, it's basically it's a it's a oak hammock, and so we we live in in nature. And what was really interesting and intriguing about the whole process was the previous owner um, interviewed us and asked, you know, well, what's your profession? What do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I'm a landscape architect, and her eyes just lit up. She's huh. like, oh landscape architect and she knew the landscape architect she was like so so you like trees i was like oh i love trees and she's like and you and, and you love this property she's like and you're not going to cut down any trees are you and i was like oh absolutely not probably going to add some <laughs> i'm going to add a lot of trees and so yeah we have a we have a tropical oasis that is a um historic florida oak hammock with um great palm trees and um and pine trees as well. I mean, it, it is the natural ecology that was here. And, and we have fruit trees and uh, we garden. <laughs> and, you know, so we're, we have tomatoes and peppers and all that kind of stuff and lots of tropical um, flowers. So we bring cut flowers from our garden into the home. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's a great place to be. So, yeah, when we were told to go home because of the pandemic, I was like, no problem. You're great. <laughs> I'm happy no here. Problem. No yeah. problem. So it's our little retreat. We have we have a great pool. It's a little resort, and so yeah. When you're in town, I welcome yes. you to, to come to the to the to the gray compound. I will totally come to the gray compound. It sounds yeah. amazing. Much much nicer than Brooklyn. <laughs> so yeah, I, I will come and escape because I love yeah. it. And we have a little guest house too, so you can. Oh, I mean, you, you you feel like you're at you you really feel like you're at a resort when you come here. So we always end the podcast um, with uh, the title of the podcast, and that's what I've learned. So what has been your greatest lesson or lessons learned along the way? Wow. I think along the way, a lesson that's been reinforced is, um, is, is kindness and being good to people. And um, you know, specifically uh, after this year, a couple of years, it seems it's, it's so crazy, realizing um, that, you know, there are some people in your, in your life that really, really matter, right. That really, really matter your family, you know, and, um, and you, you sort of take it for granted. And, you know, so, so being kind to your family, but also being kind to your friends, to people you just meet, um, coming back from my trip yesterday and, uh, on my, my flight to, to Fort Lauderdale, I, I spent the whole flight having a conversation with this couple that had just been to Mexico and were telling me about this wonderful vacation and their, their sort of spiritual experience. And it's like, oh, okay. And I could have easily said, hey, not interested, throw my headphones and just, you know, jammed out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we all do it. Um, but I was like, you know what? I, I want to learn something. And so I chatted and it was, it was fantastic. And so I, I really want to encourage everyone to be nice, right? To be kind to people. Um, it, it, it's easy. It's easy. And it comes back to you tenfold. You just, you, you don't think about it. It's, it and it's, it's funny because people are mean all the time, right? And what does that do? It does nothing. It just, it just, you're just throwing all this negative energy into the world. So, you know, turn that around. Be, be nice to people and, and you'll be, your, your life will be even better. Amazing. Well, such a great place to end and on such an amazing conversation. So thank you so much, Kona, for joining me today. It was so great to catch up with you. Uh, awesome. I really appreciate it. I'm super grateful we had this opportunity to chat. And hopefully I'll see you in real life soon when I come to the gray compound, which will be yeah. sooner than you think. So just yeah. <laughs> Inv invitations out there. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to get cold soon and we're, we're here and 
sunny Florida. So anytime. All right. Well, awesome. All right. Well, hope to see you soon. Thanks so much. Okay. See you, Stacey. Thanks for listening to Hospitality Designs, What I've Learned. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find full episodes and transcripts at hospitalitydesign.com.